thank you for joining me for this teaching from Pennington AG Church. Today will be our final sermon in our series walking through the first third of the book of Acts. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 6 and 7, a famous story about the first Christian martyr. And while we haven't been able to cover all 28 chapters of the book of Acts, I encourage you, go and read them. They're narrative and they're fantastical and they're encouraging and powerful. Read, study them on your own. As we've been jumping around just in the first third, I encourage you to continue that process of studying and reading on your own. Today, we're going to be looking at the story of Stephen. As we look at it, and as we finish out our five weeks of studying the book of Acts, we're looking at the main theme that the ministry of Jesus did not end at the resurrection. The ministry of Jesus continues through his people, which we call the church, and is empowered by his Holy Spirit that lives in us and works for our unity and works for our courage and demonstration of the gospel. All throughout this, and whenever you read the book of Acts, don't disconnect the book as stories of fantastical people doing fantastical things that we can't, but read it as an invitation to be a part of the story of what God is doing. It's not just the apostles' story. It's not even just Jesus' story. It is our story that God has invited us into and that we have the privilege to continue. There was a while back when I was first in ministry, a ministry network called the Acts 29 Network, and I thought it was one of the greatest names for a church planning organization because the book of Acts isn't done. It's still moving and working in and through us. Take that encouragement as you read and as we today look at the story of Stephen. Don't disconnect him as a miraculous, dramatic figure, but look at his life and how the Holy Spirit works through him and invite God to work through you in that manner as well. Hopefully without being stoned, but in living out that boldness, that grace, and that power. Let's look at Acts chapter 6, beginning in verses 8 through 15. If you'll read them with me. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Sicilia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders and the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, This man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the laws of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down for us. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. Some dramatic things happening in this passage already. Stephen, if you remember, is one of the lay members of the church. He wasn't paid staff. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't an apostle. He was a member of the church who was tasked with caring for the vulnerable members of the church, the widows and the orphans. He was in charge of caring for um, actually the non-Jewish end of it, or um, more the diaspora, the, the further out branch of the church. He was in charge of caring for them among other men. 
But in that, God was doing miraculous works through him. And we see the problem repeatedly come up in Acts of this man is challenging our customs. This man is challenging our economic powers. This man is challenging the way we've always done things in the same way that Jesus challenges the kingdoms and principalities of this world. The first verse here in verse 8 says Stephen is full of grace and power. He is described as somebody with wisdom, grace, and power. A real winning combination. Wisdom, grace, power. He has a good mind, a good heart, and he has divine presence on his life. Specifically in verse 8, full of grace and power is another reminder that the people recorded in the early church are being described very similarly to how Jesus was described. Jesus is described as being full of grace and power. In Luke 4.22, Jesus teaches with grace. In Mark 1.22, he demonstrates power. So when the author Luke is describing Stephen as with grace and power, he's recording true aspects of Stephen, but he's also pointing us back to the fact that Jesus' followers, filled with the Spirit, are now being described in similar ways to how Jesus himself was described. Stephen's story is a normal person in the church, not trained for ministry, not paid to do ministry, not standing on the stage. He was a regular church member, a follower of Jesus, who's given a regular task in the church. He works in their care ministry. And he is doing things not a part of care ministry. He's preaching and he's demonstrating power and performing miracles and challenging authorities and power structures. Stephen's story is one of a lay person, but described with the same power as Jesus, who preaches one of the longest sermons in the entire Bible, almost all of Acts chapter 7, almost 60 verses of Stephen preaching. And then he's killed like Jesus and even utters very similar dying words to our Savior. These are not accidental in the record of Stephen's life and death. It is intentional to show us that Stephen is now living a life that looks a lot like Jesus' life. And he's living the same pattern as Jesus lived, including the suffering of Jesus himself. And the message is not that Stephen is also a figure unattainable like Christ, but that these men and women are living a life that we are called to live. And that the model that Jesus gives us in the gospel is one attainable by his followers. Paul says this to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. And he's speaking to a church that is not very righteous, not with a lot of great works. They are a mess. And what Paul says to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is, you should imitate me as I imitate Christ. That verse haunts my dreams as a minister. For Paul to have the confidence to say to them, you're struggling and your life is a mess, but watch my life. And if you watch my life and who I am and what I do, you will see that I am doing my best to become more like Jesus, that I'm studying Jesus and I'm seeking his presence and I'm inviting him to transform me. And if you watch my life, you can see a pattern of one who is becoming more like Jesus. 
Imitate me as I imitate Christ. We see this pattern in the New Testament. The followers of Jesus, filled with his spirit, are seeking to become like Jesus. Actually, John records it from Jesus' own mouth. He says in John 14, verse 12, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater than these, because I am going to the Father. That passage is crazy that we would do the same works that Jesus has done. And then Jesus even says, no, not just they'll live a same life as me and do the same works as me. They'll do more than I have done because my time is aiming towards the cross and I only live 33 years. We will be able to accomplish more in our time together empowered by the Spirit. The works that Jesus was doing, recorded in the Gospels, are works we are called to do. Healing the sick, setting captives free, loving the vulnerable, and speaking truth to power. The life of Jesus lived out and demonstrated this way. The resurrection of Jesus, again, is not just about forgiveness of sins, but about a new way to live under King Jesus, modeling his life and living according to his kingdom. As C.S. Lewis famously said, our call as Christians is to live as little Christs, as little Jesuses, to the best of our ability in our limited understanding that we should look like little versions of Jesus. That to me is much more attainable than Paul's follow me as I follow Christ, to think of I'm a little Jesus. I'm, I'm a little bit like Jesus. They can maybe see some of Jesus' love and patience or some of Jesus' justice and righteousness or some of Jesus' peace and love. They can see some of that in me. I hope to be able to be understood as a little version of Jesus. But it is intimidating. When we read Paul, because Paul's also pretty intimidating. He writes these beautiful theological works and he has confidence and he's traveling and he's pursuing Rome. But into this, I think Acts chapter 6 and 7 are some of the most encouraging chapters in Scripture because they give us a normal person who is able to live abnormally in the pattern of Jesus. He's not dramatic and trained by famous theologians like Paul. He's not Peter who walked alongside of Jesus and saw Jesus ascend in the mountain and had dramatic moments with him. He is a guy serving in the church who became passionate about Jesus, was filled with the Spirit, and was able to live differently than the pattern of the world around him. As we read Acts 6 and 7, as we study the life of this man, be encouraged that a life of living as a little Christ is possible and attainable by the power of the Holy Spirit. Stephen, as Elizabeth taught last week, was not an apostle. He's not a paid preacher. He's a volunteer. But he couldn't help but share the good news, heal the sick, speak truth to power. Those were not his official job. They were a natural product of spending time with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. I want to give an encouragement and a challenge to you watching this video. If you're 
a follower of Jesus and just struggling to get by. And if you're hoping every week to just get an encouragement just to make it through to the next week. And when you open your scripture, you're desperately hoping for one more word to get you through the next day that you can just continue to cling to the idea of Jesus and that you are valued and loved. I want you to know that your life is made for more than that. You are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. You are grafted in to the family of God and connected with Jesus permanently by the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You are the home that the presence of God chooses to live in. You are the agent that God chose to work through for the restoration and healing of this world. You can break free from any sin that is holding you, that you feel like has defined you. You can have freedom from it. You can share your faith even though you feel like you're going to throw up sharing that part of your life. You can lead someone else to a relationship with Jesus. You can give generously and live on less and say no to some of those other desires you have. You can lead a small group and care for others. You can teach the Bible. You can challenge that ignorant family member with the idea of truth to power and caring for the vulnerable. You may be that ignorant person and you can confront that part of yourself and invite the Holy Spirit to change you and grow in you. It is true that you are valued as who you are. How you are made and knit together all the flaws and sin and brokenness of you is valued by God. It's why Jesus came and died on the cross in your place because you matter to him. You, just you. But he does not want you to live as just you. You are not just you. You are yourself empowered by the living God and the Holy Spirit in you, indwelling in you. We are more than just our individual nature. We are ourselves and all of our personality empowered by the Holy Spirit living in us. God loves you as who you are, as Steve or Rich or Kate or Brian. But you are more than that. You are a member of the kingdom of God and his spirit lives in you. And so we see that Stephen, a normal individual, is also living with the power of the Spirit in him. As Acts 6.8 says, he is full of God's grace and power, performing amazing miraculous signs among the people. Let's fast forward, and I'm going to not read the whole passage to you, but this is what happens. Stephen is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's preaching and also doing his job of caring. As we've read, they cook up a false trial, and there's false witnesses, accusing Stephen of doing things he didn't do or saying things he hasn't said. And they put him on trial. On trial, he's standing there and his face begins to glow. His face glows is reminding us of a story from thousands of years ago of Moses' face shining, coming down off the mountain, having spent time with God. Luke wants us to know that Stephen standing here is someone who has spent time in the presence of God. So much so that it's recognizable when you look at him. Stephen is now on trial, on a false trial, unfairly, unjustly set up in the same way that Jesus Christ, our Savior, went through a false trial, unfairly set up, unjustly set up to lose. 
We see Stephen a part of the story of what God has always done, of bringing his presence into him. And then the people not desiring God's will for them, pushing back against God, moving in his people and bringing their word. While on trial, Stephen gives one of the most fantastical sermons in all of scripture. I'm not going to read it, but I challenge you, read it yourself, starting at the end of chapter 6 and moving through almost the entirety of chapter 7. We have Stephen preach a powerful, full gospel sermon. He goes all the way back to Abraham and talks about God finding people and calling people for his purpose to live as righteous people set apart, loving and caring for others. And he talks about the struggle of the patriarchs to live that way and unable to live that way and making mistakes, but God showing grace on them. And then eventually living in Egypt, being enslaved and God's people knowing what it's like to be enslaved. And then Moses called a flawed savior for his people who murders an Egyptian, but God still works grace through him to set his people free that they could live in his presence and do justly as a people made by God and saved by God. And then he talks about the monarchy and King David coming in and God having a promise that one day a king would rule who would lay down his life for his people and live righteously and perfectly. And then he drives the message home and he says, this person was Jesus Christ and you refused his message of love and grace and you killed him just as you have refused God's message of grace throughout history. Now the people are accused of being murderers and you can sort of assume how they would respond to that. A riot comes, they pull Stephen out, they go, the trial, we don't even need it. Pull him out onto the streets and they stone and they kill Stephen right there at the end of his sermon. It's epic. It's crazy. It's powerful. And with his dying breath, Stephen says to them, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I've taught this story multiple times at multiple different churches and even in Pennington AG. And I normally have three points that I run through about how the Holy Spirit works through us. But I actually want to just jump and talk about the final point I normally land on. And I want us to reflect on this today. The Holy Spirit when he moves in his church, the Holy Spirit, when he moves in individuals and binds us together, he fills us with a continual and overflowing appreciation for the grace of God. The Holy Spirit is what drives us to understand, is what drives us to know, and what drives us to hunger for God's presence. I got to this week worship with our NJCF InterVarsity crew from TCNJ and there was no power. We had a storm coming and it cut out the electricity and so it was going to be in our main sanctuary and have normal slides and stuff like that. But about an hour before, they had to rearrange and pick songs that they just knew everybody would know and would be more repetitive songs. And we did it in our side growth track room with no lights and just hoped some of the light coming from the windows would be enough. And I got to sit in the back and in almost near darkness see the silhouettes and shadows of a bunch of college-age students praying and worshiping and seeking God. And in that moment, I was reminded of what I missed for 16 months of being set apart in weird worship services, is that moment of singing and declaring who God is together, declaring that doctrine and reminding ourselves 
of the God that we serve, reminding ourselves of the character of our God who's brought us together, reminding ourselves why we are the church, reminding ourselves why I read this book, and I push myself to get up in the morning and read more verses of scripture. Why we come together in silence and invite God to speak to us. Why we believe it's important to share this message with others. Why I sacrificially give to this mission and to this message. When we sing these songs and when we remind ourselves why we do what we do is because of the goodness of our God in Christ Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, when we are united as a church, reminds us of why we do what we do. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be filled with a continual overflowing appreciation of the grace of God. Stephen is described as wise, and that makes sense. He's described as full of power, and that makes sense. He's described as being full of grace, and that one's a little stranger. And I do believe the language here is to point us back to Jesus. And I like to go back all the way to the beginning of the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And the beginning of John's story is Jesus. Jesus is coming present, full of God's grace and truth. The grace of God coming to die in our place on a cross. The truth coming to reveal to us the kingdom of God and how God has desired us to live loving and sacrificially for one another. God coming to earth to live with his people. He could have come full of judgment and righteous anger, full of retribution and punishment, but instead he comes full of grace. Jesus became man to show us forgiveness and grace. Not weak, unprincipled grace, but strong and costly grace that takes the cost of the punishment and judgment onto himself. He came to speak truth to power. He came to call out sinners to repentance, to seek his love. And he told us that sin has consequences. It brings death. And then he showed us that that consequence would be taken on to himself. Jesus is full of grace and truth. And then we see his church living out that message. I would one day hope to be able to preach a sermon like Stephen preached, full of God's goodness and truth. But more so, I would love to live a life as Stephen lived, full of grace and truth and power. The Spirit opens Stephen's heart to understand how good his God is, and then fills him with passion that I can't hold this into myself. I must tell others about it. I must live this out. I must care for others in the way that Christ cared for me. And it's not an accident that Stephen's final words are near identical to the final words of Jesus. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he had fallen asleep. I want to finish out this message with just a little practical application in this. When I read the stories of Acts, even when I read the gospel stories of Jesus' life, even when I read his flawed disciples, there is often in my life an insecurity where I almost feel judged by it. 
I don't live like Stephen. I don't live like Peter. I don't preach like Peter. I certainly don't live like Jesus. And there's a part when scripture calls me to live that way that it almost feels like a burden I can't attain. I can't get there. I can't be that good. I can't be that righteous. I can't be that selfless. I can't. I know it. I've lived with myself for 35 years and I know that I'm not that good and I'm not that strong and I'm not that loving. It is into this that God gives us his spirit. And he says, no, by your own strength, you can't do it. Even reading my story over and over again, you can't do it. You need my living presence in you to be doing a miraculous work of transformation and giving you power that you don't have on your own. And I'll give you a practical application of this. If in your life you don't have a regular period or moment or practice of inviting the Holy Spirit into your life, I want to challenge you to invite that power in. For many of us, we see it as a one-time thing, an experience of inviting the Holy Spirit in, but it is a continual choice to recognize God's presence in us. I understand the scriptures better by the Holy Spirit who was there when they were written, working and moving in me as I read them. I am able to share my faith more powerfully and confidently knowing that the Holy Spirit lives present in me. I am able to worship with others and I feel bound and drawn to them knowing the same spirit that lives in me lives in them and guides us together in unity. So practical steps. Next time you open the scriptures, I challenge you, before you read a single word, pray a simple prayer. Holy Spirit, speak to me, guide me, and draw out your wisdom from these words as I read them. The next time you're in a situation where you may be the only Christian voice or you have a moment to share grace and truth to someone, pray a simple prayer in your mind, Holy Spirit, work through me and speak through me in this moment. And then lastly, the next time you are together with members of the Christian faith on a Sunday morning or a small group or even just getting together, invite the Holy Spirit to say, Holy Spirit, bind us together by the shared spirit we have in you. Draw me together into this community, knowing we are all bound together by your presence living in us. Acts encourages us that the Bible is not disconnected. The Holy Spirit is still working through his church together. He is still working through you and me today. And let's live according to that challenge, calling, and purpose. Let's live like Stephen lived, with truth, grace, and power. Some of you may be watching this and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I want to give you a chance today just to take one step forward in knowing him and inviting him to move and work in your life. If you'll pray this prayer along with me in this moment. Jesus, today, I want to invite you in to be my savior, to be my king, to be my God. I believe, Jesus, that you lived on this earth as God and man in one flesh and one spirit. You lived on this earth that on the cross, you took my sin and shame. You died and you suffered in my place and were buried in the ground for my sin and death. And that on the third day, you rose from the grave, resurrected and eternal. And by your resurrection, I can have eternal life and fullness of life here and now. You gave your life for me. Today, I commit my life to follow you. Will you lead me and guide me all the days of my life? Amen.
If that was your first time praying that, we encourage you, click one of the links around this video. We would love to know that, pray along with you, and resource you to continue to follow Jesus. For all of us watching and continuing to read stories like Stephen in the book of Acts, know that the work of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, continues through you and I. Thank you for joining me for this teaching from Pennington AG Church.